0: Good to have you all here today. How many of you have nativity sets set up in your house? Yeah? Uh, they're actually very interesting decorations when you think of it. And for some of them, these nativity sets are actually our most prized possessions. I don't know about you, but I have a set that I bought when I went to Israel. And uh, we don't always bring it out at Christmas, but I have to be honest, for me there's a bit of a sentiment there. And... Uh, I have to be honest as well in the sense that sometimes I look at nativity sets and I find them a little bit awkward. Um, I don't know how willing I am to buy a nativity set where Mary and Joseph are bears, cats, pieces of cheese, food of other sorts, superheroes, or some nouveau art deco. Um, But they're there. Yet no matter how a nativity set is designed, whether it is made up of regal or rugged-looking characters, there's always a constant to this display. There's actually two constants. The first one is that usually all the characters are looking at the baby Jesus with awe and reverence, and the nativity set itself gives away this concept of peace. It's not chaotic. Even if you use superheroes as your main people, it still has a sense of peace. Um, and again, these nativity sets, there are our interpretation of how the area might have looked on that night. And I wish they could actually tell the entire story, um, uh, that they would actually show the fullness of how Mary and Joseph felt, uh, especially during the nine months leading up to Jesus' birth. And if they did, I'm sure it would be painting a very different picture. It would tell you really of two people who were overwhelmed by God's calling in their life when you think about it. But who gave us a beautiful picture, both of Mary and Joseph, a beautiful picture of obedience, but also God's peace. And peace is that elusive word, especially when there is conflict everywhere. War is still going on. There's conflict in politics. There's conflict in this pandemic. And much of this leads to conflict, obviously, in our culture, in our relations, and also in the church today. Reminds me of what one person said about Christians who quarrel. They quoted the verse found in the first book of Discord, chapter 3, which says, where two or three come together in Jesus' name, there will eventually be conflict. Yes, thank you for laughing. That was a joke, yes. Or I look at Winston Churchill's classic comeback to Lady Astor, where she looked at him and said, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your coffee. And he instantly responded, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. You know, we laugh at this sarcasm, right? We, we really do, but it reveals that all of us are predisposed to conflict. And I, you know, I, I can't have chosen a particular subject today that is more, more, more real for us and what I believe we need to hear. You know, some of us have clashed with so many people, we really don't know how to live peacefully with others. I know some people over the years that never seem happy unless they're fighting with somebody. And the fact that the lack of peace is so pervasive and, and really nothing new, we, we can actually trace it all the way back to the book of Genesis when you look at it, where humans have been at war with God ever since Adam and Eve sinned. And, and beginning with the conflict, uh, then you have Cain and Abel there, which eventually led to one brother killing the other. And we have been in a battle with our brothers and sisters ever since. And the biblical concept of peace is much deeper than just not having conflict. Peace is more than the absence of hostility. We often use the phrase um, peace and quiet to refer to our need to slow down, but peace is not merely the absence of activity. Peace is not just getting away from reality. Rather, peace is the presence of something good, not the absence of something bad. In the Old Testament, the word for peace is shalom. It's a state of wholeness, it's a state of harmony that is intended to resonate in all relationships. And when it's used as a greeting, shalom, it was really a wish, so to speak, for an outward freedom from disturbance as well as an inward sense of well-being. And so to a people who were constantly harassed by their enemies on all sides, peace was this premier blessing. Blessing that you could bestow on somebody. Uh, Today I want to take a look at Mary who is the first recipient of the most beautiful and life-changing gift ever received in Jesus Christ. And what little we know from Scripture really paints a portrait of how Joseph wrestled with the news that Mary was pregnant with Jesus. We saw that last week. Matthew, of course, gives us the most detail. We learned that Mary and Joseph were betrothed and during this period uh, which was roughly about a year. Joseph learned Mary was pregnant, and you, you know, can we really imagine what Joseph felt when Mary told him the news? She's pregnant. The father is the Holy Spirit. She would be the mother of the Son of God. His name would be Jesus. It begins, gets laid out for them both. Joseph is having this difficult time believing Mary had uh, uh, had done this, and has a decision to make. Obviously, her pregnancy at this time, at first notice, has been displeasing to Joseph, but he struggles with his decision. The Bible tells us he was righteous, but he sought to divorce, divorce her privately. And he did this. As he did this, of course, Mary couldn't be sentenced to death by the law, so Joseph showed really a deep compassion for Mary, as, as well as the unborn child. And what did he do? He exhibited grace. He exhibited forgiveness. And again, I don't believe it was an easy decision for him at all. And Joseph was likely distraught. He probably struggled with this response. And after all that, all those conversations, everything else that goes with it, he's exhausted. He falls asleep. He has a dream. angel appears, tells him not to be afraid. Joseph obviously felt this great sense of restlessness and uneasiness about Mary's pregnancy. And here God is offering him peace. And God's peace came in the form of the assurance and the words of comfort that God's grace would surround him and Mary. And Joseph learned then that Mary was telling the truth and that this son would be the long-awaited promised Messiah and the son of God. That Joseph would be the legal father to the king of kings and the prince of peace. What does God do? He comforts Joseph by giving him the promise of God's presence. The promise of God's presence was brought to life uh, with this messenger telling Joseph that the boy would be known as who? Emmanuel. And that me- name means God with us. And so God's peace surrounded Joseph and God promised to be with him, but God has also promised to be with all of us. And so Joseph responds to God's grace and peace by, uh, well, God's grace, peace, and presence, when you think about it, by uh, taking Mary as his wife. What did he do? He protected her. He cared for her. And the presence of God's peace comforted Joseph so that he could live peacefully and show mercy and compassion by accepting Mary and the baby. And Joseph isn't the only one overwhelmed here, of course. We take a look at it and we see, so is Mary. And prior to all of this in the first chapter of Luke, we learn that Mary, who was likely between the ages of 12 and 16, was from Nazareth, a a town which wasn't anything to write home about. It was a poor little village with a few people. And we don't know what Mary was doing, but she was visited by Gabriel, who announces that she is chosen by God. Imagine her perplexity and her confusion when she hears the announcement that God has found favor with her and wants her to bear a child. You know, here she is. She's a young woman. She's like a teenager. She's a virgin. She's betrothed to be married. There's there's issues here, and she's going to get pregnant, so how can this be? You know, if Mary wasn't sitting down prior to Gabriel showing up, she may have been at this moment. Still uncertain about how this is going to come to be. What did she do? She asked Gabriel, how is this even possible? Because I'm a virgin. And he explains how it's going to happen. you got to imagine all the questions that were running through her mind at this time. Like, what's going to happen to her? Like, put yourself into her shoes. You could probably feel the fear Mary was feeling. And of course, what does Gabriel say to her? He tells her not to be afraid, right? That God is with her. God has found favor with you. He shows grace. He shows peace. And God will soon show the same grace and peace, or grace and favor uh, to then an entire world through the birth of Jesus. Who would save all of creation from their sin. And I wonder if Mary actually felt the presence and the peace because God was not going to abandon her. She would be protected. God will walk with her. She's not alone in this pregnancy, and this, of course, is before Joseph accepted anything. And of course, Mary is going to receive this greatest gift that she would be the first one to hold the baby Jesus in her arms, the Messiah. And she would also be also known as the Mother of God. And I think her response, when you look at her story, her response is one of the most beautiful responses to God's grace and kindness in all of Scripture. What does she say? She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She submits to God's desires and accepts it as her own path of grace. You know, she didn't walk as God's servant alone. I think she felt peace knowing that God would be beside her every step of this brand new journey. As well, when she visits her cousin Elizabeth, as you keep on reading, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, she offers a wonderful praise of adoration to God because of her love for God. So Mary's response to God's grace and peace was to worship and to praise God. But when you think of it, both Mary and Joseph faced the difficult decision of how to respond to God's call to be Jesus's earthly parents. Neither blindly accepted this calling. They both wrestled with it without question. And in their wrestling, God promised to be with them, uh, that, that they would not do this alone. And so God's grace and peace begins to walk with the both of them. So what's our takeaway today? You know, peace on earth seems to be the goal of the season, right? or at least some of the song lyrics that we're listening to, if you're listening to Spotify or the radio or whatever. But what about peace in us, especially today? With the gifts, with the parties of however they're going to be, with the ugly sweaters, with the decorating, with the wish lists, Santa photos and cheese dip. I have to always throw that in there. It seems that peace might be the first thing that's crowded out of the Christmas season, is it not? It wasn't too long ago the American Psychological Association did a study on holiday stress and they found that, and I quote, the hustle and bustle of the holidays has psychological consequences for some respondents. More people are inclined to feel that their stress increases rather than decreases around the holidays. 38% increase, 8% decrease. A.W. Tozer, pastor, theologian, he said this, Christ came to bring peace and we celebrate his coming by making peace impossible for six weeks of each year. He came to help the poor, and we heap gifts on those who don't need them. That's an amen or ouch right there, right? Eh? You know, we could be so busy with our schedules, with our lists, with our cleaning and shopping, that we forget the meaning of the season is expectancy, it's awe, it's wonder. It's waiting for, peacefully for the birth of the king. I quote the, the prophet Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And this is the time where the all-powerful choose to relinquish his power in order to what? To bring peace to humanity. And I think we have the ability to be all busy, but we can choose to relinquish some of that busyness, right, in order to replace it with some peace this Christmas season. i like to suggest to you that there are three types of people in our world when it comes to peace. First, we live in a world of peace breakers. Basically that in all of years of recorded history, it's been estimated that the world has been at peace just 8% of the time. So over that period, 8,000 plus treaties have been made and broken. And someone perceptively remarked that they said, peace is that glorious moment in history when everybody stops to reload. To those who break the peace in the church and often cause trouble and division, the Bible actually has very strong words. Romans 16 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. And yet when we look into Psalms, we get an insight and a glimpse of how God's heart is revealed in Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now before you start pointing a finger at somebody else right now, each of us needs to examine our own hearts. Because it's certainly possible to be a peacebreaker without even knowing it. One area we all need to consider is the use of our tongues. Ephesians 4 says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. We also find Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He expresses a concern about what he's going to find when he comes for a visit. And he writes, he says, I'm not afraid when I come, for I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, disorder. 1983, psychology today posed a very intriguing question. And it's not so much the question from this article, but there's a sub-question that came out out of this. The question was this. If you could push a button and thereby eliminate any person with no repercussions to yourself, would you do it? Come on, every one of you is going yes. Yes, as a matter of fact, when they asked that question in 1983, 60% of those responding answered yes. So 60% of you are getting ready to push the button. So one guy comes up with an even better question in response to this one, and this was his question. If such a a device were invented, would anybody ever live to tell about it? (laughs) So are you a peace breaker? Do you bring people together or do you pull them apart? Because it's always easier to create conflict than it is to promote peace. Then there's a peace faker. Now, I have to be honest. Some of us are uh, predisposed to have peace at any cost in an effort to avoid conflict with someone, right? There are some of us that just bend over backwards. I'll do whatever it takes. I just don't want conflict. And often, this is just pretend peace. Because the tensions, what they do is they go underground and then come back again because they were really never dealt with in the first place. Phil Morgan, he writes this, he says, if things are not resolved, then that peace you're trying so very hard to maintain by avoiding the issues will get harder and harder to keep. And eventually there'll come a total breakdown in the relationship. And it can die while everything on the surface looks peaceful. I think Ephesians chapter four challenges the peace fakers in all of us. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. So are you only faking peace with people? And finally, there's the peacemaker. Uh, it's much easier to break the peace or fake the peace than it is to actually make the peace in the midst of conflict. When Jesus pronounced the blessing upon the peacemakers, He actually uses a very strong word for maker. It literally means to do or to create. And so peace must actively be made because it never happens by chance. Think about that. Left to ourselves, we always drift towards divisiveness. We separate ourselves. Peacemaking is messy work. Peacemaking is often resented, but peace must be pursued until we have it, and then once we have it, we try to guard it so that we don't lose it. And a peacemaker does what it takes to establish and maintain peace. Instead of escalating conflict, this person works hard to extinguish the tension and to usher in peace. Warren Worsby, uh, a great pastor, commentator, he said, Hatred looks for a victim while love seeks a victory. A man of war throws stones and the peacemaker builds a bridge out of those stones. So we see the phrase, peace on earth on cars. We hear it on the commercials and the stores. We see it everywhere. And for many of us, we wonder where our peace is, especially today. And whether we're trying to find peace in the chaos of our own lives or trying to wrap our heads around hope for political peace or peace on earth just seems elusive. You know, a quick glance around us reminds us that we live in a far from perfect world especially in our own lives we struggle to find peace with ourselves maybe for some of us and this is one of the reasons why we do have blue christmas right we we regret past mistakes we struggle with our present weaknesses and we worry about the future We try to find ourselves in different ways we try to search for our purpose through life and relationships and work and leisure and travel pursuits right we seek long and hard for peace in our relationships with other people, some search for the perfect person to date. In our present relationships, sometimes we avoid the conflict, right, and we run the other way in fear of doing something that we'll regret. Other times we take for granted those closest to us and experience the not-so-nice realities living in a close proximity with other people. And so what do we do? We become frustrated. We become angry over the mistakes of other people. We struggle with the uncertainty of tomorrow and the turmoil going on in the world around us. The news is bringing very few positive reports, if any, now, right? We wonder if peace on earth is even a possibility, and yet you always have these optimists who would say things that, you know, things are better now than they were several decades ago, but why do we still long for a better world? And even when we long for it, no matter how hard we try, reality seems to get in the way. And the ground around us is falling. Surely we're progressing. But as human beings, we have so much potential to be good. Why are we not consistently living up to it? Even with the best of intentions, our human effort to be good and make this world a better place seems simply to fall short. We don't know everything that lies in the future for us, whether next year or the years ahead, but we can be sure at some time we will have our fair share of trouble. There are going to be times of sickness. We're all going to get sick, right? There are going to be times of health, there will be times of success, but there will be times of failure as well. Things will happen that will test our faith and loyalty to God. We'll stare death in the face, either that of a loved one or even our own. A lot of things will cause our heads to spin, but we can be sure of one thing, that God himself has become one of us. A virgin conceives and bears a son. And so God in Christ has come close to us, and that's why he chose to become an earthly baby in a manger. That's why one of the names given to Jesus is Emmanuel, because it means God with us. Mary gave birth to a son who was crucified, who was raised, who was glorified, and he had come to earth for us, for you and for me in the midst of our troubles. He has come to bring us hope, he has come to bring us love, he has come to bring us joy, and he has come to bring us peace. And so in Jesus, God is with us when we are depressed and hurting. God is with us when we are sick and sorrowful. God is with us when we are feeling guilty and ashamed. God is with us when we are happy and celebrating. And Jesus doesn't watch what is happening in our lives from a distance like a Santa Claus in the sky. Rather, he's right here with us, right in the middle of it all, like a brother or a sister. He's right here with us, giving us support, giving us help, giving us comfort that we need to face the ongoing troubles that come our way. And into our world of tragedies, of broken dreams, of crushed hopes, of merciless demands, God came so that he could heal our pain and that he could give us hope. Remember there's a scripture that says for nothing is impossible for God, with God. We don't know everything that lies in the future ahead for us, whether next year or the years ahead. Honestly, we don't know what kind of suffering, trials, temptations are in store for any one of us. We don't know if we'll be sick or healthy in the coming year. We don't know if we're going to be prosperous or poor. We don't know what our being servants of the Lord means for us or how the cross will come to us. But you can be sure the cross is gonna come. We don't know the the time or the circumstances of our own death. And nor do we know the time, hour or day of the coming of Jesus. But one thing we do know, this fourth Sunday of Advent, amazing things happen when God speaks his word of promise. So where can we turn for hope for peace? You ever considered what, looking to see what Jesus said as a solution for peace? He taught people to love each other as they love themselves. Not a self-serving kind of love, but a self-respect kind of love. He taught people to love their enemies. Imagine if every single person, imagine every group, every culture, every country in this world learned to love each other and their enemies. There would truly be world peace. And not only did he teach others to be at peace with each other, Jesus himself served to make peace between people and God. A peace that was broken because of our imperfection and our rebellion to go our own way and live a life apart from God, otherwise known as sin. And this separates us from God who is holy and perfect and loving. It also prevents us from having access to the love and the power that, that God would enable us to truly realize and experience peace. And God revealed himself to all people through the person of Jesus. Jesus comes to the earth in a peaceful way as a baby in a humble circumstance of a ma- manger and proceeds to live a, a humble life. Imagine God and putting yourself into the limitations of, being, of a human body. And Jesus came to restore our broken relationship with God so that we could first experience wholeness and peace with ourselves and then extend it to those around us. And it's through our personal relationship with Jesus that we find peace with God. Do you have peace with God this morning? He came to live life perfectly, died in our place to pay the consequences for our sin. His death made peace between our sinful nature and God's holy nature. His coming back to life gives us hope of living in peace with God. Also, peace we find through a wholeness and peace with ourselves. Our own personal esteem is based on what God thinks of us. And what God thinks of us is something that never changes. Whereas we look at the others around us and the fluctuating foundation of their opinions upon us or our fleeting accomplishments or our changing circumstances. We have to understand that our identity is based on who God has made us to be. God has made you you, not on the things that we do. And he loves you for who you are. Kind of had an aha moment. We did a grandparents sleepover last night. So the grandkids came over. Actually, maybe the, maybe the grandparents should go over to the, the kids' house and sleep there for a change. But the grandkids came over. And, you know, there, there's, there's nothing like a love of a grandparent. Sure, when you're, if you're a parent and you have kids, you love your kids. But there are times where you look at your kids and you're going, why did they come? When you're a grandparent, it's this different question is, when are they going? So, it's different. But, when your grandkids come to you, much like when your, when your children come to you, something that happens, which is just really interesting. In that, and, and I'm trying to get all theological here, because I, I think that there is some sort of um, line to draw through it. It's my grandkid. My grandkid, or my child, but in this case last night, my grandkid. My grandkid's teething, and of course the snot's flowing, the hands in the mouth, right? Cheeks are red, Tylenol's my friend, but here's a kid that's so, from a worldly perspective, unattractive, like it's snot everywhere, there's slobber everywhere. Never mind a full diaper. Like There's an effervescence in the room. <laughs> but what do you do? You love that child. And sometimes a child touches his nose and puts his hand in your mouth. <laughs> you love the child in spite of. And I wonder for a moment, and this is just me reflecting, I wonder for a moment if that's the same way God looks at you and me. In spite of our runny nose and the mess that we're sitting in and the way that we look and the way that we feel and everything else, He just wants to hold us. And He accepts us as we are. But we also find hope wholeness and peace in our relationship with others. Because we begin to change and see people through God's eyes. When we allow God to begin to work in us, we begin to see, we remember that God first loved us, and so we grow in wanting to extend that love for others. And I'm not just talking our immediate family. I talk something about simple as grabbing a couple of these and putting it on the tree, and I know that, God, you know my heart. I'll be blessing somebody. It doesn't really matter who they are, but I want to bless, and it's my way of showing love to my neighbors. And finally, we bring healing and wholeness to others around us. In our communities, in the cities, in the world we live in, we begin to see a hope for change in others in the world around us. And how does that all start? It all starts with me and God. Coming into a relationship with Jesus by faith and following him does not mean a life free of conflict. I wish that teaching would go away. But he offers a promise of hope, of something better to come, a power to bring some of that better world here and now, and he offers strength to persevere until that time a new world comes. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled is that line from the carol that gives a picture of Jesus as God's gift of peace to us. That Jesus demonstrated the kind of peace we all long for. We do, and being the, the son of God, Jesus was at complete peace and unity with God. He even said, I and the Father are, are one. He, was, he always treated people with respect. He always used wisdom and love in his conversation. He brought peace to those who were around him. He was a magnet of peace, even to those who were trying to get rid of him. And he ultimately wants to bring peace between you and God. So take a look at your life today. How do you describe your life this morning? Are you content? Are you rushed? Are you excited? Are you stressed? Are you moving forward? Are you holding back? And for many of us, it's all of the above at all times. There are things that we could dream of doing one day, and then there are things that we wish we could forget. In the Bible, it says that Jesus came to make all things new. What would your life look like if you could start over with a clean slate? What happened if we just slowed down and said yes to one less expectation? What if we just set some time aside for spiritual disciplines of solitude and silence? What if we soaked in the season rather than inhaled it as if we're (laughs) running away from us? My question to you is how can you seek peace this Christmas season in a way that you might not have had it before? Remember it was Jesus who said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And this message of God, if, who became a fetus in Mary, was born in the stable, laid in a manger. We may not understand the mystery that surrounds the Christmas events, but we do know that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us. And God is with us in the ugly part of our lives as well as the good part of our lives. He doesn't desert us in our darkest hour of despair. He is there in the midst of the rubble of our broken dreams and the ruin of our tangled lives. And our heavenly king has come into the rubble of our lives. Why? To help give us help and support. And from the time of Gabriel's visit, Mary's life was turned upside down. Joseph had difficulty understanding how Mary became pregnant. and Without any fuss, he, he wants to part from her. But and as the time for the baby draws near, they travel to Bethlehem, where she's going to deliver this baby without any of the comforts of home, and place that baby in a feeding trough. Not long after that, she is... Um, She and Joseph would have to flee to Egypt to protect this child from the murderous King Herod. 30 years later, Mary would stand at the foot of the cross and watch that precious life that was conceived in her be given to death for her and for the sin of the world. So Mary's life was different from now on. And the child would bring her joy, but he would also bring her pain and sorrow as it was prophesied in the New Testament shortly after Jesus' birth. So remember, people, we don't face difficult situation in our lives alone. God's peace in the most distressing and disheartening of situations is here for all of of us. And God doesn't call us to a life of fear and timidity, but of peace in living in the presence of God. And when we go through difficult moments in our lives, we can have confidence knowing that God's peace is with us. And even though some situations may be very overwhelming at times, God promises that he's not going to abandon us, that God's peace and comfort is our assurance that God's presence is with us. And I actually think this word gives comfort to us today. Because for Maritime, Christmas is not a time of celebration, but a time of anxiety and sadness, especially with the new shutdown that's happening. You know, we're reminded of those either that we have lost or now that we're separated from. And their presence is felt even more during that time of celebration, is it not? As well, there are many who are visiting families, that, and now it's becoming a time of frustration and Sadness. And yet the promise of God's peace is that God will always be with us even when we're hurting and feel as though we can't go on. We can be comforted knowing that even when we cannot face another time of celebration that God is right beside us. God is encouraging us, comforting us, strengthening us in our time of loss and depression. And we can have peace because Emmanuel came. And he's with us today. So Jordan said I was going to comment regarding what's going on in the society with restrictions and everything else. Needless to say, there's been a lot of chat- chatter between the leadership as to what do we do, how do we do it. And there's still some questions that remain unanswered. I think it's safe to say, and Jordan you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Tuesday night our blue Christmas will be one gathering for 25 people, is that correct? You have to pre-register. Reverend Hollander will be delivering the message. So uh, that's where we find ourselves. We have to make decisions. Uh, for the upcoming weeks. And uh, I'll say this, we are a church for all people. And so we're going to do our best to do just that. So we may be adding gatherings, moving gathering times around. We will figure out and have answers. And I'll just say this to you that um, just watch your email boxes or watch our websites and we will make it happen. So some of our gathering spaces may be full, double-vaxxed, and other gathering spaces may be 25 people at a time. But we're a church for all people. And uh, we want you all to experience that peace to the best of our ability. Let's pray. Loving God, As we approach the day of Christ's birth, help us to throw wide the doors of our hearts in preparation. Help us to sense the importance of what happened so long ago when Mary was visited by Gabriel. And to remember the words of the angels and the prophets and the teachers of old. And to celebrate the promises that you've made through them. Help us to take firm hold of the meaning of all these things. And to know in the depths of our being that even now you are seeking to work in us and through us to fulfill the promises that you have made. And Lord, as difficult as it may seem for some, may this Christmas season be for us and for those around us a season of healing. May it be a season of hope, a season of love and joy and peace, and may it be a time of true sharing and rejoicing in all the earth. We pray, God, for those in need around us, for those who need a second birth, and especially those who need a tender touch and a healing word. May your ways be made known upon the earth, God, and your saving power among all peoples. And I pray that you would renew your church in holiness and help us to serve you with joy. Guide the leaders of this and every nation that justice may prevail throughout the world. God, we pray as well for the children of our world, especially those in Tunio and Taveda and all those of tender faith, and all those who have no home to call their home, all those who are hungry and thirsty, we pray for our inner city, Lord. Bless, we pray, the innocent of the earth, and all those who trust in you, and make us instruments of your peace, and let your glory be over all the earth. And we ask these things, O God, with hope and praise in our hearts, our minds and our souls, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want to invite you um, to help stock the Living Word Food Pantry by just grabbing a couple of these and when you go shopping this week to buy it and then bring it back on Sunday or you can bring it back throughout the week. You can bring it back Christmas Eve, whenever. And let's do it. So, so sanctuary, you stand with me because in ancient times the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing and those receiving a blessing did likewise. So here it is. So sanctuary, be people of peace. And let peace live in your heart and share the peace of Christ with all you meet. Soul, share peace by acting out of compassion and not fear. Share peace by listening to all sides of the story. And share peace by praying for our world. And in this Advent season, we need to see and feel and share peace. And so as you go into the wonder of God's creation around us, share peace and hope with those that you meet. And from Moses, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his confidence, countenance upon you and give you peace. Be blessed. We'll see you next week. If you're able-bodied and you can spend some time, if you could stack the chairs eight high, that'd be great.